It's a challenging statement that Paul makes about his heart's desire and his prayer to God. That is, that Israel might be saved. Paul's desire would be similar to wanting to be like the Lord, wanting to be like God. Paul would remind the Ephesians in chapter 1 and in verse 4 that God planned our salvation before the foundation of the world. And then you think about God's desire and God's heart from before the world was ever formed of what he wanted to see take place. The patience that was required on God's part to bring about man's redemption, God's patience in working with mankind to spread this news of salvation with those who stand in need, and for him to use human vessels such as the Apostle Paul to do his bidding. You think about the heart's desire of Jesus when he came to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. You think about the patience, the long-suffering, of reaching out to those who should have been expecting him and yet who rejected him and ultimately crucified him not fully realizing again that they were fulfilling God's promise. You think about wanting to share good news of a forgiveness, not just the rolling forward of sins from year to year as was done under the Jewish law, but the forgiving of sins for them to be washed away and then remembered no more by God. The Hebrew writer reminds us in Hebrews 10 and in verse 17. You think about Saul of Tarsus and the desire, excuse me, and the desire that was in his heart as a Pharisee of the Pharisees of wanting to eradicate this new way of worshiping, believing, and serving God. The zeal that he demonstrated in doing just that. 
and then for his life to be changed by the blood of Jesus to become that staunch proclaimer of the gospel of Christ, preaching redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. You think about his concern for his fellow countrymen, those of that Jewish persuasion. You think about what he's saying in the reading this morning. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and in seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Same thoughts could be expressed today. There are so many in what we call the religious world, so many in what we call under the umbrella of Christianity, a misnomer if you will, but a term generally used of doing exactly what Paul is describing about his Jewish brethren. Having a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Wanting to serve God, but not knowing what it is that God was really asking for. During the days of Paul and Saul of Tarsus, there was religious division then as religious division has continued to exist. And those that ought to want to know and want to serve a God who has so loved them that he planned their redemption, planned their hope, gave them guidance through this life for that better life to come. That they would misunderstand and they would misread the scriptures that God had provided for them. And at times when God's word was destroyed, or at portions of it at least, cut up and thrown into the fire, he had it rewritten because he loved mankind. Time you come to Jesus' day, day and a little bit before, you find the Jews who all claim to be God's people, who all claim to be faithful to God, had divided into separate little groups to worship God in the way that they desired to. Ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. He had the Pharisees, of which Paul was one. He called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. 
the strictest of the sect of the Jews, zealous for the law, but not in accordance to how the law said it to be done. They were caught up in keeping the minute details of the law to the exclusion of ignoring the weightier matters of the law, love, justice, and mercy. They were dependent, or they stressed very heavily, keeping the commandment to give a tithe unto the Lord, a tenth. And that they would give a tenth of everything that they had to God. They'd count out their seeds, the little mustard seeds. Count them out one by one to make sure that God got one out of every ten. They forgot about justice. They forgot about mercy. They hardened their hearts and did not listen to God's word, did not listen to God's prophets, did not listen to God's son when he spoke. Jesus would describe them in Matthew 23. He would describe how they would transverse land and sea to make one proselyte, only to make him twice the son of hell than themselves. They were not right with God. Paul's desire in his prayer to God is that they might be able to change and to learn. Then you had the Sadducees. I've used the expression at times, the Pharisees kept most of the law, but not, but not all of it. That's why they were fair, you see. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. They did not believe in a resurrection because they did not find it specified in the old law the way that they wanted it to be specified. Does that sound familiar to people you talk with today? Even in the Lord's church, does that sound familiar to you? Because it's not stated the way they want it stated. They do not have to believe it. They forgot God is described as the I am. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Israel. I am the God of the living and not the dead. The I am says there is a resurrection. Abraham will be raised, as will all the rest of God's faithful children. But there was a resurrection, and there is a resurrection. And it's sad to see that even today there are those who claim to walk with God, who are beginning to say there is not a resurrection. And yet they want to be called Christians. They want to be called Christ-like. They want to be called followers of God. Another sect of the Jews during that time was called the Essenes. 
And they believed the best way to be faithful to God was simply to withdraw from society and to withdraw into their own little community and live there and have nothing to do with the rest of the world. The only real advantage, if you will, that has come out of that group is their preservation of the Word of God so that we could have access to it later on. But we're reminded by God, you live in the world, you're not of the world. You cannot separate yourself out of the world. But you have to live this godly life in this world associated with those who are not religious or righteous. Prime example, Jesus, the Son of the living God, lived and dwelt among people that should have been expecting him. But he also interacted with the others the Samaritans, the leopards, the blind, the lame, the sick, many of those that were cast aside by the religious society which was there in Jerusalem. Then the last group that they had during that period of time was called the Zealots. Zealous for the law. Willing to take up physical arms to fight against the enemy. They had a group of them out of that were called the basically they were called the assassins. And what they would do, these are religious people, would walk around with the robes walk around with little daggers in their robe. And as they would come up to a Roman soldier, take the dagger out and they stick it in his back and keep on walking. That's how you get rid of unrighteousness, is just kill them off. Does that work? Now many of us would still be walking around if that was true. Because we were unrighteous at one time. Paul was aware of all of this. And to have this heart's desire, a heart's desire, he bled, his heart bled for those of a Jewish background. He could know that they had the word, they had the scriptures, and yet, they were ignorant of what it said. His desire is that they might learn what God would have them to do. Is that not our heart's desire? Is that not our prayer to God? That the world in general, yes. That the religious world, yes. But is it not true for so many of those who claim to be God's people that they might know what God would have them to do 
that they could find salvation. It's not far from them. God's not far from them. But they have to have that desire to turn and to do His will. The heart, the depths of the matter, again in verse 1. The sad commentary there in verse 2. Then he goes on to quote scripture to them. Here's what Moses said. You want to go by the, you want to go by God what he said? Here's what he said. You want to know the depths of God's love again? Ephesians 1 verse 4. Before the foundation of the world, God laid out the plan of redemption. God had already planned to send Jesus. Already understood what his son would go through on the face of this earth. As you read the Gospels, does it ever, you ever cry? Just sit down and cry? To read how God's people treated the Son of the living God. How they despised Him, mocked Him, ridiculed Him, persecuted Him, crucified Him. The Son of the living God. And they claim to be God's people. Has time changed? So many in the religious world have nothing to, really want nothing to do with the truth of God's word. They like the parts that they like. Ignore the rest of it. If we're not careful, we can do the same thing. But because of Paul's desire, his heart's desire, and his prayer to God is that they might be saved, that they might learn and do God's bidding. It's a guiding principle in Paul's life. Because of his dedication, because of his desire, the gospel spread throughout the known world at that particular time. Always been an interesting passage in Philippians 4 and verse 22 that there were Christians in Caesar's household. As history records him, he was not one of the most kind Caesars, he was not the most loving one, righteous one. Well, none of them were. But even in that type of environment, a Christian could be found. That's true today. It's not the environment that makes the Christian. It's the relationship of one to God that makes the Christian. And when that relationship is made, it does not matter where one lives, where one serves, or a circumstance in which one may find themselves. Paul was able to use his freedom as a Roman citizen 
for the glory of God. Now, many individuals would have a personal audience with King Agrippa, for example, to be able to give a defense for what he believed in Paul, to present it in such a way that in Acts 26 and verse 28, King Agrippa would say, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. One of those three passages where the word Christian is used. Almost. And Paul's response, except for these chains, I would wish that you were as I am. I wish you were. That passage has led to one of the songs we sing oftentimes as an invitation song. Almost persuaded, but lost. That not only applies to one becoming a Christian, that also has application to our living our lives as a child of God. Many Christians are almost persuaded to be faithful to God. But they let the cares of the world begin to seep in. They let the attraction of the world begin to divert their attention. And almost is but lost. Paul would have the opportunity in Acts 24, 24 and 25 to talk to Felix. And Paul never pulled punches. Either with Agrippa, he told him exactly what the scriptures said. With Felix, he would tell him exactly what Felix needed to hear. He needed to hear about righteousness because Felix was not living a righteous life. He needed to hear about the judgment to come because everyone will meet that day. And we need to be reminded as the Hebrew, Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. The judgment is not a time where it, where it will be decided whether you are faithful to God or not, and whether heaven or hell will be your, your home. That's not what judgment is. The judgment is a declaration of what has already been decided by the life you lived when you died. Go back to Matthew 25. In a great day of judgment, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. How can you separate the sheep from the goats unless there's already been a separation of the sheep and the goats? They've already been divided. 
To the goats he say, depart from me. To the sheep come into the joy of your master. You decide. You decide this day. You decide every day where you will be. Felix heard all of this and he trembled. And said, when it's a more convenient season or a more convenient time, I'll call for you. And as far as we know, that convenient season never came for Felix. As far as the scriptures tell us anyway. When it's convenient, how many live for that day or that thought in their mind? Listen, it's kind of complicated right now. You don't know what's, what's going on in my life. I've got to get some things straightened out. As soon as I get some things straightened out, then, then I'll do what's right. No, you do what's right. And that'll help you straighten out the things that you're wrestling with. But you do what's right to begin with. And we're reminded in Acts 26 and verse 32 that Paul could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But in the doing of God's bidding, the trusting God, God working his will out in life, how else would a Jew from Sicily, would a Jew who lived in Rome have the opportunity to stand before the emperor of the Roman Empire and declare unto him the gospel. Oh, he could have been set free. Could have. But in God's bidding and God's planning, it was leading towards another opportunity. That's what happens in our lives so many times. We look at what could have been, what should have been, and we fail to see what is and how God uses what is currently. God in his grace, God in his mercy, grants us opportunity to, at any time to make a change within our life. That opportunity is granted up until the time of death. And then it ends. Till then, wherever we are in our life, if our life is not as it needs to be or as it should be, we're given an opportunity to change. It may be to become that child of God through the repentance of sins, the confession that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior, to put him on in baptism for the remission of sins, to be raised to walk that new life. That's about to happen. Or as a child of God who's gone astray to be able to come home. To be able to come home. God waits, longs for his children to come home. We're not where we need to be. We need to make that change in our life. If we could assist you, if we could help you. Indeed, we bid you to come as together. We stand and sing.